I want to talk to you for a few minutes about something that is around, that has been happening for years. It's called grave robbing. And I'm sure you've heard of that before. Grave robbery has been around since the beginning of time, whether it be away in a far-off land. Uh, for example, in the pyramids, there were many grave robbers that would come in and loot the treasures that the kings were buried with, or even in our own backyard, in our own hometown. Even as soon as last week, you can read in the paper that there was a man in Lincolnton, North Carolina, which is right outside of Charlotte, who he worked for a cemetery. And he actually was caught pawning a ring off of one of the people that was buried in that cemetery. And the pawn shops had put him on an alert list because he was just suspicious and it wasn't the first time that he had tried something like that. Now what makes it worse is that this person that got caught for that actually worked for the cemetery. And so he was actually going and stealing from graves of those people he helped bury. He would go to the grave to get treasures and steal them. I can't imagine being a family member that has placed their trust into a company to be able to provide those services for a loved one in their end life. But as we see here that even as people pass on and they're buried, we are still not safe from the ravages of sin. And just as this person has gone and, and stolen from a grave uh, in Gravantana, Georgia, in Indonesia, which is a Soloese island, local rituals actually, they exhumed their ancestors and mummified bodies every few years. Why do they do that in Indonesia? They go and they exhume their loved one, and they bring them out so they can freshen up the grave. I'm not lying. They freshen up the grave. They bring them home. They put them in a new suit. And they put them back in the ground. And so what was you think would be sacred for their society is just uh, let's go get them, clean them up, and get them ready for another ten years, I guess. But how do we do? How can we process this? This is disturbing on so many levels. The the family again, they trust people to make arrangements, and yet people are taking advantage of. Then also we other see we see other cultures that they don't place the same value on death as that we do. But the grave robbing I want to talk to you about this morning is the one that is very personal. It is a grave robbing that is affecting your life at this very moment. Because Christ says that when we are born again, Paul said it very eloquently in 2 Thessalonians, that when we are born, we are a new creature. The old person has passed and the new person has come. When you see people like myself or anybody baptizing people, up front, we, we say every time that this is not what saves a person, but it is symbolic. When someone goes down into that water, that is a symbolic gesture of that being their dead old person. I don't know about you, but the person I was before I met Christ, I am glad he is no longer around. And I am sure that my wife would be glad that that person is no longer around. Because if that person was no longer around, I would not be in front of you today. Folks, when Jesus saves us, he doesn't just clean us up. 
He doesn't make us fresh for another five years. He regenerates us. He makes us new. But the reason I use the term grave robbery is that every now and then, for some, maybe more than others, we are tempted to go back to that grave of our old self. That person that was crucified with Christ. Those old ways, those old sins, and those old habits. And we are tempted to go back and live in those. Maybe it's a habit. Maybe it's a thought life. Maybe it is uh, just any number of things to where you are tempted to go back and be that person you used to be. We start picking over and robbing the grave of our own lives. Why is that important for us today? Well, we go back to the old ways because that is the way we handled problems when we were younger. That's why I remember, you know, I was a teenager and uh, I had been, uh, I was a good Christian kid. I mean, I was that kid that was sitting in the youth section, Jason. And I mean, I was, you know, listening and all that kind of good stuff. But on the weekends, I was out sowing my oats, so to speak. And so I would experiment with things and drinking was one of those things. And I praise God that uh, that never took hold of my life. But I do remember that finally God put me to my knees and, and he said that, that you were going to follow me totally. And I did that. I came to Christ. I made a profession. Uh, I realized that I was religious but not a, a Christian. So I got to a relationship with Christ. And then after following him for about two or three weeks, something happened. And I, I forget what it was, but, I mean, it was teenage drama. It wasn't anything major. But I remember I went back and I did those things I used to do to find comfort. Except this time, they didn't fulfill me. This time, I felt worse. I realized that all the problems I thought I had, they could swim. And so it, my life was compounded because, and, and it just got worse because I kept going back to the way I used to handle things. Now, if you are a believer today, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When we are tempted to handle it in a way that is not godly, when we are tempted to handle it in a way that we always used to handle it. Well, what we see today is that Paul gives us some practical advice to the congregation of the church in Colossians. So, again, the passage that we're going to be reading out of Colossians, this is not written to a group of unbelievers. This is not written to the pagans of the world. This is written to church members. This is written to you, and it's written to me, because it shows that even those that go to church have issues. I'll go ahead and tell you, i got issues. And I'm sure if you were to be honest, you could raise your hand and say, well, preacher, i got some issues too. Maybe you know my issues better than I know myself. But either way, we all have sin. We all have problems. And what we see here is that Paul is wanting the church to remember one critical aspect. That when you are a Christian, you are a new person, there is no need for you to go back to the way you used to be. There is no way, no reason for you to go back to your old life and the way that you handled things and, and rob that grave of the things that led you to Christ in the first place. And Because what we see is that when we come to Christ, we are regenerated, not just restored. And so let's go ahead and look at our passage. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. Colossians chapter 3, starting with verses 1 through 4. He says, 
So, if you have been raised with the Messiah, seek what is above. Very off the very first thing he says, off the bat, is that if you are a Christian, you are different. Seek what is above, where the Messiah is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on what is above, not on what is on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with the Messiah in God. When the Messiah, who is your life, is revealed, then you also you will be revealed with him in glory. There's a few things that we see. How do we think like a Christian? He gives us some very important steps to, to when we are trying to find out what God wants us to do in our lives, how do we get our heads straight? Well, the first thing we see in verse 1, seek what is above. In other words, what he is saying is, is that if you are a believer in Christ, first and foremost is not your church attendance. First and foremost is not even your tithe. First and foremost is not even your family. First and foremost is your relationship with God. Seek what is above first. Because, folks, Christ was our substitute. You know that, right? Christ died for our sins. And not only was he our our substitute, he is our identity. Our identity is found in Christ. Because it says in here, believers die with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says, For we are baptized by one spirit into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we all are made to drink of one spirit. The spirit that we drink of as Christians is what the Bible calls the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit is God. That is what we call the Trinity. And so when Christ sits in the place of honor of our lives, our lives take on the benefits of that. It's like everything that was out of place falls into place. The second thing he says in verse 2, that we need to set our minds on what is above. Folks, we need to think about what is in heaven and not on earth. Because here's the thing, is that if you actually take this word that Paul says and decide to think on things above, that means when things don't go right at your workplace, it won't end you. That means when things go south in a relationship, it won't blow you under. That means when the doctor tells you something you dreaded to hear, but you knew it was coming, it means it won't overtake you. That means when the phone rings and you hear something that is life-changing, it won't blow you over because you are setting your minds on what is above. Folks, the mantra of today is for our world to thine own self be true. In other words, me first. A very selfish society. That's called sin. So, Understand this, as a believer, when you decide to make your life not what's in it for me, but what I can do for God, it totally messes this world up. And it'll totally change your world because you're not playing the game. You're not like the mindless drones that are just going through day-to-day life with no hope. You have a higher hope. You have a higher purpose. You have a higher power because if we refuse to dwell on earth, on heavenly things, we will still think like a spiritually dead person. It wasn't to said, I think, therefore I am. If your thought life is not where it needs to be, 
you're not going to be where you need to be. And the third thing we see is that we are entwined with Jesus in verse 3. It's just simple, folks. You cannot unscramble an egg. Once the egg is out, and once the egg is scrambled up, you put two or three eggs. I made omelets the other day. I love making omelets. They're good. But you, you mix those things up, a little milk, salt, pepper, good to go, right? But if somebody says, oh, I don't want eggs, I can't say, okay, that's no problem. Let me pull all three of these eggs out and put them back in their shell. You cannot unscramble an egg. And folks, when you are a believer in Christ, in Christ you say, come into my life and help me to be a Christian. Forgive me of my sins and I follow you. Jesus Christ becomes your DNA. You are intertwined with him through the Holy Spirit and you all are together. You cannot get away from him. In Christ, your life takes on more meaning and more purpose. Listen, believer. If you are intertwined with Jesus, you know what that means? His glory is your glory. Amen? You got that? His, been, his resurrection power will be your resurrection power. Amen? What you see and read about Lazarus, you will experience. But also, you know, we'll, we'll give an amen to that. But I'll also tell you this. His cross is your cross. His pain is your pain. His death will be our death. Folks, everybody's trying to seek out real life. They, they want to live life to the fullest. I, I love the show. You know that Bear Grylls guy that was a man versus, man versus wild? He does this thing now where he takes celebrities and he takes them on these two-day trips. And he, he made a comment on the show the other day that he said, um, he was talking about life, and he said, I don't want to die with a healthy body. <laughs> he says, I want to go into the pearly gates, bruised, Broken, scarred, but saying that was the best ride I ever had. Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. And I would just add to that is that if you are not a Christian, that's as good as it gets. Your worldly success, your worldly power, that's as good as it gets, and it only gets worse. But for those of us that are entwined with Jesus, we we have his benefits, we have his persecution, but he is with us every step of the way. Believers have been remade into something better. Let me tell you something. You might not feel like it today, but if you are a Christian, you are better than what you could have been. Amen? You are better than what you could have been, and you can be better than you will be. It will get better with Jesus Christ helping us in being our our confidant and our help and our rock because we struggle, but he promises to continually work in our lives to renew our faith and to extract our sins. Listen, I am not going to sit up here today and tell you that if you're a Christian, everything's going to be okay. I'm not going to tell you that if you become a Christian, there'll be a Cadillac in your driveway when you get home. Matter of fact, I'll tell you, if you are a Christian, life's going to get worse. Because when you draw a line in the sand, you say, I believe in Jesus Christ. He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. The world is not going to like that. But, what a greater power you have in your life. And also we see that we need to leave our old life in its grave. We need to quit robbing our grave. Verses 5-11, through 11, this is what he says. Therefore, put to death whatever in you is worldly, sexually, sexual immorality, 
impurity, lust, evil, desire, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. And you once walked in these things when you were living in them. But now you must also put away all the following. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and filthy language from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his practices and have put on the new man who is being renewed in knowledge according to the image of his creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcision and uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all and in all. What we see in this room is not... Red, yellow, black, or white. What we see in this room is not uh, middle class, lower class, high class. What we see in here is not super Christian or pagan. What we see here is that we are all the same in Christ. We are all the same in Christ. But I've got to say, when you read this and it talks about all the things we shouldn't do, why is that in there? Because they were doing those things. Because these sins had infiltrated the church. And so he is warning them. And he tells us the first thing that we must do is we must execute, basically put to death the things that kill your spiritual life. Folks, today in your life, if you are letting even just the smallest sin reside in your life, the fox is in the hen house. That there is danger there. Folks, if you were in fear for your life from an attacker, say you were in war or an animal or, or another human or, or virus or whatever, you would likely not have a problem with the phrase, it's either kill or be killed. When our physical lives are threatened, we go into fight or flight, right? But why is it when we allow sin to come into our lives and reside in our life, it is killing us spiritually. And we do nothing about it. Oh, preacher, I go to church. I'll be alright. It's not about going to church. It's about having a relationship with a loving Father that says, look, I have got a better plan for you. Let go of these things and live for me and, and let me show you that you're killing yourself by holding on to sin. Our spiritual lives are being ravaged by things we must put away. He says in this passage, anger, wrath, and malice. What is malice? Malice is a bad attitude towards someone. Say, for example, if someone you know that you don't like is successful and you get mad about it, that's malice. Or slander. Oh, here we go. Slander. What is slander? Slander is gossip. What do Baptists call that? Prayer requests. Oh, did you hear about Sister So-and-so? They did this and that and that. I'm praying for them. I had to meddle a little bit. I'm sorry. And listen, if you give a prayer request, I'm not accusing you of gossip. But if you, here's the, I'll tell you the difference between gossip and a prayer request. Gossip is when you say that and you don't pray for them. A prayer request is when you share it with somebody, not for the purpose of passing on information, but gathering around that person and praying for them. 
Evidently, there was a lot of prayer requests in the church of Colossae, if you know what I mean. Folks, what does your mouth say about your heart? Because don't be, don't be tricked. If, if you spend five minutes with me and hear me talk, you will know where my heart is for the Lord. If I spend five minutes with you, I will know where your heart is with the Lord. How do I know that? Because in Luke 6.45, Jesus himself says, A good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil from the things, the treasury of their evil heart. What you say flows from what is in your heart. When your mouth speaks, it speaks what is in your heart. Here's the application here, folks. Curse words, gossip, coarse jokes. They are not harmless. They are not harmless. I, I've talked to people all the time. I'll preach here. I'll let a word slip every now and then. I think Jesus understands that. But I also know people that they call themselves Christians and they have got mouths like a sailor. That does not match. That is not okay. Cussing is not a spiritual gift. And it shows what's in our heart. You say, oh, preacher, you're, you're ranting about cussing. It's not just cussing. Gossip, slander, malice, anything that, that assaults our brother and sister in Christ. It's not harmless. Oh, preacher, I just told that joke. Here's a funny joke. Or I, I forwarded that email. Yeah, I, I know it's bad, but it's so funny. Folks, I've gotten emails from people and deleted them from my accounts because I couldn't put up with it. It's not harmless. What we say matters. When we wear the badge of Christian, what we say, how we act, it does make a difference. And uh, there was these two girls. <laughs> they were party girls, if you know what I mean. They were like the, uh, the popular girls of the day that go to all the parties and uh, their names were at the top of every invitation list, and, and they were what you would call buck wild. You know what I mean? I mean, they were, were out there. They were the party. Well, when you know that through different chain of circumstances, the Lord touched their hearts, and those two girls became saved. And then the word hadn't got out yet, and they were invited to the party, and then they had a problem. Do they continue to live as they used to live? but still claim to be a Christian? Or do they allow their decision to affect their life? Well, they allowed the decision to affect their life. And this is how they responded to the invitation. They said, we regret that we cannot attend because we recently died. Huh? But they couldn't be any more clear. That old person has died. That old person no longer Exist, And we don't want to go to the grave and pick that person back up again. They would rather go to their graves than to pull up their own ways, their old ways. Verse 9 shows us that we need to, to live the new life as God has given us. It says to put off our old self. As a believer, folks, we are free to live this new life. Paul talks extensively about this. In Romans 7 and 8 about the fact that, that we are Christians, but yet we still have a sinful nature. The difference is, is that when we think about sin, when we think about going back to our old ways, we are no longer enslaved to that. Because I guarantee you, nine times out of ten, when you think about going back and doing something you used to do that was not of God, 
He convicts your heart and says, don't do it. You can think about it, but don't do it. But we end up doing it anyway, don't we? Well, we see here that God forgives, but also when He forgives, we must be sincere. We must be sincere. And what does to be sincere mean? Sincerity is manifested into obedience, which is proven by repentance. Folks, if you are serious about your sin, you're going to be serious enough to stop it. Because just talking will not deliver us. It will not heal us. And it will not bring God's grace. But too many Christians are living in graves of their old lives rather than walking in their new life. And it's possible, did you know it, it's possible to be alive and still live in a grave? During World War II, several Jewish refugees hid in a cemetery. And a baby was actually born in one of the graves. Folks, why would you want to go back? If you are a believer in Christ today, why would you want to go back and live in your old ways? Christians are not only called to defend their faith, but to demonstrate it in how we live. Then we also see that in verse 11, Christians are defined by Christ. Folks, denominations, races, social structures, languages, financial status, all of these things, as Solomon says so plainly, all of these things are vanity. It's just a chasing of the wind. What does God see when He looks at a believer? If you are a Christian, what does God see when He looks at you today? I'll tell you what He sees. He sees His Son, Jesus Christ. That blood that we were singing about, He sees that blood that has covered your sin. Folks, there is no sin you have or ever will commit that will disqualify you from being redeemed and made a new creature. There is no sin. Some of you are probably thinking right now, I'll preach you, you, you don't know what I've been through. You don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But God knows everything you've done. Hidden, seen, unseen. And He still says, I love you. And I forgive you. My forgiveness is the only thing that God cannot forgive is what they call apostasy, where someone says, I feel the Lord pulling on my heart, but no, I do not want you to be my Savior and to be my Lord. You can't recover from that. Folks, your worth today is not found at the clothes on your back or the amount of money in your bank account. Your value was determined by the blood of Jesus Christ. And then we see in verses 12 through 17 that we need to wear the new outfit that God has given you. We need to wear the new outfit that God has given you. Starting in verse 12, it says, Therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and loved, put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, accepting one another and forgiving one another if anyone has a complaint against another. Just as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive. Above all, I love that, verse 14, Paul makes no bones about it. Above all, put on love, the perfect bond of unity, and let the peace of the Messiah, to which you are also called in the one body, control your hearts. Be thankful. Let the message about the Messiah dwell richly among you, teaching 
and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Folks, the dirty clothes of your old sin, they were buried with your old self. We see this illustrated in the parable of the prodigal son. You remember where he returns after squandering his inheritance? He returns, and the father, what does the father say? You did what with all your money? I'm going to teach you the value of a dollar now. Is that what he said? No, he didn't. Did he say, you are so dumb. I thought you were bright, but to go and now come back, who do you think you are? Did he say that? Did he say, <laughs> I told you, you weren't going to make it. Did he say that? No. What did he say? He said, rejoice. My son that was dead and was lost has come home. He said, grab a robe. Grab a ring. Get some sandals. Kill the fatted calf. We're going to have a barbecue. That we are going to celebrate because my son who was lost has come home. There is significance in the fact that the father put a robe on his son. Because in that time, the way that they had the structure set up is that if you were wearing the family robe, it showed that you were part of the family. So by him taking that robe and taking that ring, he said, you strayed, but now you are part of my family again, and I love you, is what he was saying. So as we see in this passage here, we see that God wraps his son around us. The robe that we wear is the robe of Jesus Christ. When he looks at you in the midst of your sin, in the midst of the sins that you've committed, in the midst of the sins that you've confessed, in the midst of the sins you're thinking about doing right now, he says, I love you. And you're covered through my Son, Jesus Christ. He says in verse 12, the believers are God's chosen. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 says, You are not your own, you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. How many times have I heard, I'm a grown man, I can do what I want to do. I'm a grown woman, I can do what I want to do. You're not the boss of me. That's right, I'm not. Anybody can do whatever they want in this world, can't they? You can. If you want to go out and rob a bank, you can rob a bank. you want to go out and take a walk in the park, you can take a walk in the park. If you want to go out and live in sin, you can live in sin. But there are consequences of that. But there are also good consequences of living in the life that God has chosen you for. God knows you better than you know yourself. In Romans 8, 29 and 30, they say, For those He foreknew, He also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What does that mean? That means you're not here by accident today. Some of you, you are here every Sunday. And I thank God for that. I pray that the Lord blesses you. Some of you are come when you can. 
Some of you are new. But I want you to know beyond a shadow of a doubt through God's sovereignty, you are supposed to be here today, this morning, at this moment to hear this message. When God started working on my heart about the message to preach, He was putting all of this together to where it's very likely that someone in here, this is the day you're supposed to meet Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord because He has predestined it and He has foreknown it. Verses 12 through 15. Don and I used to watch a show. Well, actually, Donna used to watch it. I just kind of sat there while it was on. But it was a show called What to Wear or What Not to Wear. And they, uh, they, uh, would, somebody would submit a family or a friend, a family member, to the show that dressed horribly. And these, they would secretly tape them, and then all of a sudden, oh, you want a great new trip. And so these, these two designers would come out, and they would spend the week dolling them up, teaching them how to shop, and all those great things. And uh, they would give them some hair and some makeup, and, and it was always neat to see the transformations. But a majority of the time, the person had to learn one great important thing about themselves before they could put any piece of clothing on it or put any kind of, of, of makeup or hair, the person needed to learn to love themselves. Then they could express it through their clothing. By the end of the show, their clothes matched their new attitude. Hear what I'm saying, church. Does the clothing that you receive through a relationship with Jesus Christ, the fact that we are intertwined with Jesus Christ, can people see that in your attitude? If you're not wearing that, put it on. That's what Paul is saying. Put it on. If we love Jesus, we will wear the clothes He has given us because our wardrobe represents the change that He has made within us. Again, the bottom line here is to love one another. And also, we need to let the gospel flow. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not some secret that we're supposed to keep to ourselves. Folks, I've heard people say, well, preacher, this, this testimony, you, you want me to, to learn my testimony and to share it? Well, that's a private thing. Huh? It's a private thing? When has our relationship with Christ ever been called to be a private thing. That is nowhere in the Scriptures. Now, I don't mean that you need to get on top of this roof after the church and, and yell at cars when they come by, but if God calls you to do it, go for it. I'll give you the ladder. But it does not mean that we just need to sit and we need to keep it to ourselves. That is not Scripture. That is fear. That is disobedience. That is being ashamed of the very person that saved you. That's what that is. That is plain fear. A fear of failure, a fear of rejection, a fear of man. Folks, why do we fear the very people that have no power over our eternal destination? When I think about when I was in middle school and high school, oh man, I was so consumed with what people thought about me. I wish I could go back and tell that kid, it doesn't matter! These people have no power over you on this earth or in the earth to come. They have no power. All the power you need is found in Jesus Christ. 
Folks, whatever you do or say, remember that you are speaking on behalf of Jesus. So, as we wrap up today, I have a question for you. Are you a grave robber or are you a regenerated Christian? Are you a grave robber or a regenerated Christian? Folks, God's wrath will come down on those who do evil. Colossians 3 6 says, Because of these, God's wrath comes on the disobedient. Remember, folks, this is a letter to church people. No one is exempt from these temptations. There was a pastor one time who preached a series of sermons on the sins that Christians commit. A member of his church challenged the pastor afterwards by saying, it would be better if you preach those messages to the lost. Well, after all, the sin in the life of a Christian is different from the sin in the lives of other people. The pastor replied without a hesitation, No, it's worse. When sinners that don't know Jesus Christ sin, it is part of their nature, and it is up to us to share Jesus Christ with them. But when Christians sin, it is blatant disobedience that will be punished. Let's pray. God, you have called us today to quit going back to our old lives, Lord. You have delivered us from those lives. So, Lord, if there's anybody in here today that would say, you know, I've never been saved. I, I, I've never, that new creature, that grave, I don't have that. I'm still the old person. If you want to know Jesus Christ today, and if you want to be regenerated into a new Christian, you can start by praying the sinner's prayer and asking Jesus Christ to come into your life and forgive you of your sins. And, and you can kill that old person today. And you can walk away from this place this morning, the new person the Bible teaches about. Or maybe there's a Christian in here that has allowed a lot of things to get into their life and they've gone back to their grave and picked up old habits, old sins that they want to get forgiveness of and they want to repent from. Maybe someone wants to join this church or just come to the altar and pray. If any of those decisions fit you or you just feel the need to come forward, please do that. This invitation time is for you, Lord. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?